0: Online at KFUO.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is the mind of Christ, and to do that, a couple of Christ-confessing Concordians confer with the book of Concord to conform what we believe, teach, and confess according to Scripture our Lutheran confession of the faith. On today's show, we're going to discuss why Concord matters for the confessional family. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Church Parish of Emmanuel West Point in St. Paul's Wine Hill in Southern Illinois. My companion, confessor, and conversation about this matter today is the Reverend President John Hill. He is District President for the Wyoming District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. President Hill, welcome to Concord Matters.
1: Thank you. Good to be with you.
0: Yeah, it's a great honor to have you on Concord Matters, especially as, I just want to share this little bit of background for our listeners, you were my wife's pastor for many years while she was a teacher at Mount Hope Classical Lutheran School out there in Casper, Wyoming. It was also an honor to have you officiate at our wedding in 2017. And in many conversations, as my wife and I talk about how we want to structure our family with centering our family and our children around Christ, your teaching and example with your own family has often been positively referenced in our family. So I certainly thank you for that, as it's a great joy to me, especially as a pastor, but more importantly, as a Christian man, to have such a wonderful, faithful, confessional wife and Heather and... While I certainly give thanks to God for that blessing, I also thank you for your faithful work and encouragement that I know has been a big part of that formation for her and thus also now in our family. So when I wanted to do an episode to talk about the confessional family, I could think of no one better than you, and I'm honored that you're able to take the time out of your very busy schedule as a district president now to be able to talk about that with us today.
1: Uh, Thank you, Pastor Smith. I have received many things from others in many ways. I'm just I have the privilege of handing down the great treasures of scriptures and our confessions to others, and I'm really honored to be able to visit with you today.
0: And that really is, just as you say, that really... The blessing of the Christian faith is we receive it from previous generations and hand it down. I often sometimes maybe oversimplify things, but I often say it's really not that hard to be a Christian and to have a faithful Christian life. You know, we just we receive and hand it down. And that's a wonderful blessing. And so as you've played that role in for our family, I you know, it's something that I want to encourage, at least as I have the benefit as a pastor in my dual parish, but also here on this radio show. To just provide a little bit of an example. Obviously, that takes years of formation and living it and things like that, but to just talk about it a little bit today. So as we get going, I guess that's maybe just a good question to begin with is, what is a confessional family? What do we mean about that when we use that terminology?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and I think in our day and age, it's becoming increasingly pressing. I'd like to, uh, first of all, challenge us to think a little bit about the word family. I think that's the word we tend to prefer to go to, and yet it may not always be the best starting point. One thinks about the fact that we have extended family. My parents are members of my family, but I haven't lived in their household for a very long time. And when we actually look at scriptures and the confessions, the starting point for us actually is marriage. And out of marriage flows life and the family, or what we might even term more accurately, the household. And just to give you kind of an example of that, Luther comments on marriage in uh, his commentary on Genesis 24, where he's talking about the uh, marriage of Isaac and Rebecca. You probably remember the account of Abraham sending his servants to go find a wife for Isaac. And this is portrayed for us as one of the most critical points of the household or the family life. And Luther makes this comment here he says, The dignity of matrimony should impel us to give instruction concerning matrimony in a sober and godly manner. For marriage is not a trifling matter, but it is the most serious and most important matter in the whole world because it is the source of human society and of the human race. Life in its entirety has nothing that excels it in worth. He has further comments on that in that section of of his commentary on Genesis, and that kind of leads us actually into a consideration of the whole household estate, I think is what we would call it. Luther talks about the three estates, he talks about the church, he talks about civil government, but in marriage, he especially focuses on what God has instituted and given in the household. And he, in fact, says that all fathers and mothers who regulate their household wisely and bring up their children to the service of God are engaged in pure holiness. He calls it a holy order and a holy work. And then he draws in the rest of the household, children, servants, when they show obedience to their elders and masters. This too is pure holiness, and whoever engages in it is a living saint on earth. So Luther speaks very highly of this whole estate, and he orients us very quickly to the fact that this is something that is instituted by God, and it is his particular gift.
0: Yeah. One of the things that often has jumped out at me as I've gone through looking at Luther's works, but then also in the confessions, is how often we actually do end up talking about family. And that seems rather distinctive. That it really comes back to that. And some other Christian denominations have gathered this understanding as well. I mean, even the Roman Catholics have a very high view, at least traditionally, of the family. And yet, that really is quite distinctive, really, is that we're focusing on what it is to be family and marriage, as you've laid out there for us. And that informs the rest of our Christian life, really. I mean, sometimes we might think about it the other way around that it begins in the church and that's our focus. But really, it begins with the family. You spend a lot of time talking about the family, right?
1: It does. And so when we talk about the purpose of the family or the purpose of marriage and the household, certainly the passing on of the Christian faith is of utmost importance. So let me just sketch out for us a little bit where the confessions talk about marriage and family and those issues. And I'll start actually in a very kind of odd place, and that is in the Augsburg Confession, we speak about the marriage of priests, or as we would say today, the marriage of pastors. And that's the place where our Lutheran confessions defend marriage and speak very much to it. Our intent today, of course, is not necessarily to address all the perversions of marriage that we have in our day-to-day, and necessarily to talk about how the world is assaulting marriage and trying to redefine it and so forth. But this is a place where we would go to find a lot of material for where the Scriptures address this matter. But as I look at the Augsburg Confession, and I'm going to start actually with the apology, the defense of the Augsburg Confession, we confess that Marriage is pure in believers because it is sanctified by the Word of God, that the Word of God permits and approves, as Scripture testifies abundantly, for Christ calls marriage a divine union when he says what God has joined together, let not man separate. And so he emphasizes the fact that marriage and the household are sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. And that's a key starting point. In fact, I love the fact that our confessions draw us to the words of Jesus in Matthew 19, where Jesus quotes Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 as the foundation and orientation of the whole of humanity in many ways, but certainly of the household. He refers to the fact that God made man as male and female. And the Augsburg Confession and its apology address that matter at length. That the purpose of making man male and female was so that they would have children. In fact the confessions make a great deal of a point of that that God wants children to be born into the world and he wants them raised as Christians. Uh, This is what of course God says in Malachi 2 where he says that God wants godly offspring. He wants children who will honor him praise him, certainly trusting in him, but who will in their lives, confess their God. And so that's a primary purpose of marriage, and that's the orientation for our family. So when we talk about a Christian or a confessional family, we're talking about something that is instituted by God and that has purposes which are ordained by God. All right, so after that, obviously the small catechism, which is the one we all know best, speaks to the household Uh, The fourth commandment teaches us to honor father and mother, and it teaches us that the bond between parents and children is a divinely ordained relationship, and that it has specific contours to it. God has given specific commands as to how we are to conduct that. And then, of course, the Sixth Commandment, you shall not commit adultery, states it in the negative, but as Luther teaches us in the explanation, we are to lead sexually pure and decent lives in what we say and do, and husband and wife are to honor and love each other. And so those are the two natural starting points that we turn to, though I would immediately want to draw your attention to the table of duties where... Some of the places that scriptures address the household and its relationships are recorded for us, and we are to learn those and know those. So that's a great starting point. Then I would bring you to the large catechism where Luther, in a more sermonic fashion, addresses these issues. And again, we would go to the fourth commandment, which Luther says is the place that endorses marriage. And he will draw our attention then to the institution of marriage and then, of course, speak to fathers. Much of his explanation there focuses on the necessity of children obeying and honoring father and mother, those in authority. But he goes on to address the duty of fathers toward children toward the end and actually make some comments that have application to how we're to think about school and the education of our children. And then you can turn and we can look at some of these quotations as we go forward. But then he goes to the Sixth Commandment, and he says that while the Fourth Commandment is the place where God endorses marriage, the Sixth Commandment is the place where he defends it and praises it. And he has some very beautiful things to say about marriage and the household estate and the purposes for which God has given it.
0: Even as you bring that in, I want to reference a couple things here. One, first, that this is obviously not even an exhaustive list. I don't know that we really would have time, as I said, you know, as you just go through Luther and again, even our confessions, it's just talked about so much. It really is quite central to the Christian life that we have in this world and such a blessing. And just to bring in and reference real quick that you brought in, especially under the fourth commandment that Luther has in the large catechism, some great thoughts about how we think about school and the education and formation of our children. That's actually something that I'm going to address in a couple episodes, just in an episode itself, kind of building a progression here. So just For the benefit of our listeners, we're talking about what it is to be the confessional family here today. And then the next episode, we're going to talk about what that looks like in the catechesis in our home and with our family and also thus of ourselves. And then we're going to talk about Lutheran education and how we think about that in the formation of our children. So that's kind of the progression that we're going to show. But to come back then to our point here with the confessional family, again, not an exhaustive list, but a broad swath there. There's a lot of theology at work there, and you've highlighted a lot for us. And so how does this theology then begin to inform our definition of what it is that we're talking about when we're talking about the confessional family?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So maybe the best place to think about this is to think about how the world around us wants us to think about family and family matters. That perspective, of course, has become significantly distorted. And we could point to any number of things that have happened over the last hundred years, from the undermining of marriage through no-fault divorce, and the loosing or even eliminating the sense that marriage is a, a lifelong bond between one man and one woman, and that's a divinely instituted or a sacred, a holy institution because God has established it. And then, of course, moving on forward, the whole sort of redefinition of who man is and that our identity is really not given to us by God, but in fact is subject to our own will. And so it becomes a matter of choice if a person wants to abort the child in the womb, or it becomes a matter of choice if uh, a person wants to have sexual relations that are not with a a husband or wife, uh, or even a person of the opposite sex, and one's very identity as man and woman is called into question, And so this is the world in which we live. This is what our children are inundated with in the government school systems. This is what our media is constantly promoting to us. And to use the phrase confessional family reminds us of the fact that we actually are so richly benefited by having the confessions, which teach us that what the scriptures has portrayed before us from the very beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation is in fact the confession of the church throughout the ages. And we can, in fact, be very closely oriented to what scriptures and the confessions teach us instead of what the world is going to promote to us. And so I, I think maybe in some ways the first and foremost thing to emphasize the confessional part of the family is to emphasize the fact that we know what the confessions have to say about the family and how it teaches us to live our lives as a family, as marriage and household.
0: Yeah. And even what you were just saying there, as you were talking, I was reminded of your sermon at my wedding. You laid out, really, as you said there, from Genesis all the way through, you laid out a beautiful picture of what God gives us to confess about family from Scripture. And I remember in that wedding sermon, my wife and I try to listen to it every year on our anniversary again. So we're very glad that there was a recording of that. You kept referencing, this is what Scripture gives us. And then you just kept using the phrase, you said, How far we have fallen. And that's the influence of the world around us. And I think you said in there too that the world wants us to think a certain way about family and family matters. But that's not what we're given to confess. That's not what scripture presents to us, is the nature and purpose of family. And so maybe that's something good to talk about too is when we talk about being a Christian confessional family. What is the purpose of family as far as we are concerned? We know what the world teaches us. That's all around us, as you said. But what is it that we understand from Scripture and, of course, as you laid out the confessions there?
1: Yeah. So your question entails an assumption that I'd like to bring forward here, and that is that we Christians assume that what God has created and given is good. Of course, the Scriptures teach us that, that God looked on all that He had made at the very end of the creation. And he said, it's very good. And so for us to talk about the biblical vision of a family and how we live and confess that in our lives, we trust that God has in fact given us something that is good, that it's good for us, that in fact, he intends it to bring happiness and contentment into our lives that the ordered life of the family is a gift that is at the very heart of our daily existence and life in this world. And in fact, it's such a beautiful picture, this picture of marriage and family, that it becomes also a picture used to describe the church and our relationship to God as Christians, that we are the bride of Christ and that he wills that his bride be fruitful and bring forth children into the world through the gospel. And so this is just kind of a maybe a basic starting point is the fact that what we're talking about here is something that's very good. And then as you look through what the scriptures teach us, the purpose of marriage is, first of all, to bring forth children into the world. And you see that in Genesis 1, which is quoted by Christ, and it goes on to say that man is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And the primary way in which that is done is through the bearing of children and Bringing them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord in his education. Of course, all of this is given before sin, and so we also now consider marriage and family after sin. And that's a very beautiful and comforting perspective to look at also that marriage is given in order to restrain sinful desires and to channel the appetites and desires of men and women in very fruitful and good and useful ways. But the household then also becomes, as our wedding liturgy brings out, it becomes a fortress for the defenseless and a source of strength and help for the weak and a place of refuge. It becomes a comfort. It becomes really for our children, the springboard in in which they enter into their own lives and begin their own families. And all of this is God's intention. This is his purpose for marriage is to be that place, that gift that he gives to each one of us.
0: Which then makes me think of, as you brought in earlier from the Confessions, Article 23 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession and also the Augsburg Confession, the marriage of priests, where that's corrupted, where the purpose of the family has been lost or thrown away, especially by the church, that does become quite concerning to us. Because how can the family accomplish its purpose if its purpose is hindered? And so that's why we want this faithful understanding and confession of it so that we can live it out so that the family can accomplish its purpose. But maybe that it maybe seems like a, an overly simplistic question, but why is it important that the family accomplish its purpose as we live our Christian lives?
1: Yeah. So I'm uh, working on a sermon for Sunday on the historic series. So this is the gospel actually that I preached on for your wedding, John chapter two, the wedding at Cana of Galilee. And one of the things that I've been reflecting on as I've done some preparation for that sermon is the fact that in our age, people are very much alienated from each other. There's a great deal of isolation or alienation that we have, certainly from the world around us. Our world is plagued with loneliness and with a sense of being unconnected to the people around us. This brings on all sorts of mental and medical problems like depression or addiction and the like. And God intended marriage to be a place where we could live healthy and whole and contented lives. And that's almost becoming a strange concept to our world today. But to point out the purpose of marriage is to show us a way forward for how we are to live. Your reference to the Augsburg Confession and Apology 23 on the marriage of priests is really quite apt. Melanchthon there, of course, refers to scriptures and he quotes the various passages that are of importance to us. But he also ties in the fact that natural law itself, what he says that the law that is impressed or written into our very nature and to the world around us, teaches us these same things that God has, in fact, designed and made us in this way. He's actually designed our very persons so that we should live within family. And of course, there are always exceptions to that. Uh, Even the scriptures acknowledge that there are some who can live contentedly without being married. But his overall plan is for us to live in community, to live in families. The church, of course, becomes our family and ultimately the greatest family for us. But our households are to be that starting point in that first place where we are to learn community and learn how to live together and, in fact, find that to be the place of great fulfillment for us as human beings.
0: And as we live in that, really, as you bring out there for us that the church becomes our family and ultimately the great family that, as you referenced earlier as well, Marriage is even the reflection of the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. And so we get to kind of live in a divine reflection, if you will, in our families. And that gets to be our witness back to the world that has such a misunderstanding of the family and then also leads us into great fulfillment, as you said. And for the last several years, I've really come to realize and benefit in my own life with my own marriage and really see there is an answer to the loneliness and emptiness. It's not that I didn't have things to fill my time or that I wasn't contented in life when I was living as a single person, but there is just so much more joy and fulfillment that comes out as you live in family and you really get a sense of, I don't want to be overly dramatic here, but a greater purpose in that sense. It's not just that the family has a purpose, but it really is a greater purpose in that sense, right?
1: Yeah, this is, again, tied into our very nature as to who we are and as Christians very beautifully draws us into the church. And in fact, it really teaches us a lot about how we can think about life in the church. The church is often called, of course, the bride of Christ, but it's also called the household of God. And so you have the marriage and household image that is carried over into the church. And really in a way, in a spiritual way, what we talk about with our own families and households is true of the church. God intends for us to have relationships of love and of service to one another within the church. He intends us to find community and communion. And I mean that both in the sort of more everyday sense, but it's certainly also in the gift of our Lord's Supper to us in which we partake of Christ that by way of Christ, we are brothers and sisters with one another as we receive in baptism and as we enjoy day by day in our life of worship, of word and prayer and and sacrament and of service to one another. And furthermore, that he wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to, by the word, bring other people into the church. That's a kind of giving birth. That's a language that scripture uses and He wants us to be fruitful in good works. And so just as the daily household is a place where we serve God and one another by the works of vocation and service that we do, so that is to be carried over also into the church as to what God intends for the church to accomplish and to do.
0: I think that's a really excellent point, especially as you really brought out quite well there, I think a strong connection that we often talk about but don't think much about and that's that the church is the household of God and how we live in the church and family. And we're going to have to take a break here, so we're going to pick this up on the other side of the break, but what I want to pick up and continue with is how then the church supports the family, the Christian family, the confessional family, but then also how we live that as a family, especially as As you already referenced, we live in a very isolated culture these days and increasingly individualistic, and sometimes there's the pressure to say that we talk too much about family in the church, but I don't know that that's necessarily all that helpful for us, especially when it's so central to how we live together. So that's what we'll pick up on the other side of the break, is the idea of church and the Christian family. So you're listening to Concord Matters on KFUO. Join us right after this. Greetings, saints of our Lord. This is Pastor Brady Finner. I am humbled to be the new host of Thy Strong Word every weekday from 11 to noon. We will receive the gift of God's Word and Paul's epistles for our new series. We will travel with Paul from city to city, from letter to letter, as he encourages, exhorts, proclaims, and points us to Christ and Him crucified for your forgiveness. Join us, live or on demand, because God has gifts to give for you. And welcome back to Concord Matters as we continue talking with the Reverend President John Hill about Concord Matters for the confessional family. And just before the break, you gave us this idea that I think is a very scriptural idea, a very beautiful idea of picturing the church as the household of God. And again, we use that language. We'll even talk about our church family and things like that. But sometimes I don't know if we spend much time thinking about that and how that influences what we do in the church. And what the church does for us, obviously, the primary focus, as we've talked many times on this show, of the gathering together of the saints is to receive God's Word and sacrament. But how does that play out then to the Christian family? What role does the church have to the confessional Christian family?
1: Yeah, this is a critical point in our churches today. And when you think about what the Scripture tells the household to do, and in particular focusing on the role of fathers, there's always a focus on passing on the Christian faith to the children. Uh, you can look in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where God impresses so strongly upon fathers, and including fathers and mothers, but parents, to teach the Word of God to their children, to dwell on it in their homes, to, you know, when you get up in the morning, he says, you give thought to the Word of God, meditate on it. When you sit down to eat, when you walk along the way, when you go back to bed at night, you should have God's word on your mind. And in the New Testament, the apostle Paul expresses it this way. He says, fathers, bring up your children in the education or nurture and knowledge of the Lord. But in order for fathers to do that, they need to know from the church, they need to be taught either by their own fathers and households, or especially by the church. They need to be taught, first of all, that this is their duty. And second of all, they need to be taught what it is they are to teach their children and their household. And this is the great purpose of the home, and the church provides this very important role of teaching that to the household. And I'd like to focus on a couple of points here, just as we start talking about this, in the confessions, and and I'm going here primarily to Luther's large catechism and his teaching in the Ten Commandments. So he talks about marriage as a uh, divine and blessed estate. Remember we talked about the three estates and God has established this estate, this sphere of life for man. And he says he established it before all others as the first of all. And he created man and woman differently as is evident, not for indecency, but to be true to each other, to be fruitful, to beget children and to nurture and bring them up to the glory of God. And he says that God has blessed this marriage estate with all kinds of blessings in order to be able to carry this out. And he calls it a glorious institution and an object of God's serious concern. And in fact, he emphasizes this point again. He says it is of utmost importance to God that persons be brought up to serve the world, to promote the knowledge of godly living and all virtues, and to fight against wickedness and the devil. So again, bringing out the importance of what the family is to accomplish. It's in the fourth commandment that Luther teaches fathers in particular that this is their duty and that they should bring up their children to the praise and honor of God. And he, of course, addresses how the family serves the civil estate by teaching children and bringing them up in such a way that they will be of very useful and honest service to the world and to their neighbor in a whole host of vocations, and he also emphasizes the fact that the same education will also provide servants for the various offices in the church, especially that of pastors, but teachers and all other servants of the church. And he sort of sums it all up by saying, therefore, let all people know that it is their chief duty at the risk of losing divine grace, first to bring up their children in the fear and knowledge of God, And then, of course, if they are so gifted, to have them engage in in other formal study and learn so that they may be of service wherever they are needed. But again, this critical point here is that fathers, parents are to bring up their children in the fear and knowledge of God. The church needs to continue to teach our households that this is that duty. And Again, in our day and age, I don't think that point can be overemphasized. Many of our parents may not have had a great example in their own homes. And even if they did have examples, what they have been taught to do in leading their families and teaching them God's Word has been so completely and thoroughly undermined by the customs and the culture of the world around them. And frankly, by the busyness of the world and all the distractions that are brought upon us that it takes a very determined and deliberate effort on the part of our households, our families, to give attention to God's Word and to make that the most important thing in their lives. And uh, this is where the church pastors and their preaching and teaching, first and foremost, but also the encouragement and assistance and help of the rest of the families in the church. This is why this is so very important for our families.
0: Yeah, and especially as you brought in, you talked about servants of the church and it focuses us on the need for pastors and teachers, of course, in the church and the proclamation of the word to continue on. That's obviously very important for our life as the church. But even in just terms of the other things to be church, and some of them very, very practical. And sometimes I think, again, the world has influenced us to think a different way that we always have to kind of look outside, and we're constantly looking at evangelism, if you will, to those outside to bring more in to get things done around the church. When Sometimes we just need to take a look at ourselves and say, what are we training and teaching our children to do and to raise them up so that they're there to continue on, to continue being a congregation in this place? And I think maybe this is just, again, overly simplistic and too practical, but even just when it comes to trustees around a church, you know, I have many fond memories of my dad served as a trustee around our church and many fond memories of going with him to just work on the boiler at church or just different things. And what that taught me about how we live the Christian life, that we do view the church as part of our household, that our service there gives glory to God so that we can continue to gather together in that place in warmth and safety and those sorts of things to receive God's divine gifts to us, to have that word proclaimed to us. And as sometimes we look at our church today, sometimes a lot of that seems so lost just simply because we haven't taught it, we haven't passed it on. And that's not to beat anybody up or anything, but can once again help us understand what you're talking about here. And this is part of our role in passing it on to succeeding generations.
1: Yeah, that's a beautiful picture. I I grew up in a pastor's household, and so I have the same experience that you have, but rather tagging along with my dad on various and sundry things. But it highlights the fact that the household becomes, again, that entry point, for most of us, into the church. And, you know, there's been a lot of anxiety surrounding our life in the church today. Our culture is becoming increasingly de-Christianized, I guess you could say, and the historic encouragement and support for people to be members of the church and to send their children to Sunday school and to bring them up as Christians is really entirely gone. And with that has come a lot of anxiety within our congregations we don't have many younger families. Some, many of our churches are, especially in the, you know, in the, not just in the rural areas, but really across the country, unless you live in a fast-growing part of the country, our churches are oftentimes anxious about their future. And I've often thought many times we need to stop being anxious. We just need to be the church. What does God teach us to do? He teaches us to preach the word and administer the sacraments, to teach the Christian faith, to pray, to live as a family within the church, and to teach our households and families how to live as Christians in the world. And God promises to bless that. If we just simply do what God has given us to do, he'll take care of the future of the church. He'll take care of my congregation. He'll take care of the next generation of Christians coming along. Our task is just simply to be Christians in our home and in the church, exactly as you described it.
0: Yeah, and really then, too, brings us back to what is it the church should teach? And here, maybe you can even just give some practical examples. What is it the church should teach fathers and mothers to teach to their household? How do we do that? How does that get reflected in kind of the day-to-day family life and living of what we do in our families? What should the church teach them?
1: Yeah, so I am very richly blessed. When I uh, say that I what I pass on I have received from others, I, I really mean that in a very clear way. My family growing up was a family that was oriented toward the Word of God. In fact, I knew as a child that I was qualitatively different from many, most of the children in my school, my peers. And as I look back, I realize the reason for that is because we actually read the Bible every day. It was not a complicated process. And as I went and visited my grandparents, I began to see that what my dad was doing was just simply what my grandparents had done and passed it on to him. And I have, of course, now passed it on to my children. We would take time at a set time every day to read God's Word. In fact, we didn't even necessarily use separate devotional aids. We read a chapter a day. That was the custom that was passed on from my grandfather, and I did at home, and now I do in my own home, and my children do. We read God's Word, we'd talk about it, maybe, and then we would pray. It's a very practical and easy thing to do. There are lots of devotional aids to assist that, like our treasury of daily prayer or many other sound devotional aids. But the heart of it is that God's Word is to be the center of it. And again, as I look back on my childhood, and as I look back now on my own family and how my children grew up, that becomes the orientation to really all of our conversations. So just to give some, again, some practical advice, I would urge fathers of the household or mothers where that necessity arise, but set a time and a place every day where you spend time in the Word of God, reading it, discussing it. We started, we were doing this before we had children. We didn't change anything when we had children other than to start teaching them as they were old enough to understand things. But we just continued that. For us, it was before breakfast every morning. And we would read God's word together. And we just set aside that 10 minutes or so to do that and make it a most important part of our life. There are some things that can really help with that. One is you've got to eliminate the distraction of electronic devices, cell phones, television, computers, all of that. In fact, I urge families to sit down at a table and eat together every meal whenever possible, because then that becomes the context in which you have conversations together. And you're not always going to be talking about God's Word. You're going to be talking about numerous other things from, you know, culture and politics to the daily life and school and whatever else is going on in life. But at the underlying center of it all is God's Word and the fact that you're all Christians together and you are are all attentive to God's Word and allowing it to inform your daily life.
0: Yeah, and reminds me again, too, of what you brought out earlier of the table of duties, which is sometimes a neglected part of the small catechism, but it breaks out into kind of little bites, if you will, of what various roles that we have in life can do. And of course, it's all cited directly from God's Word. And that can serve as sort of our devotional as well, that when we recognize, obviously, I like what you highlighted there, is that just simply sitting and reading Scripture together orients us towards God's Word, and that's going to influence how we view our life. But then as we also look at the other aspects of our living of our life, again, I brought in just what I learned by going with my father as a trustee to the church. Well, that relates to the tables of duties in in terms of the service that we offer to our churches. It's a tithe and an offering to have those sorts of roles as well. All of that's going to flow out of the Word. And whether we're talking about politics or things like that, and I've been a privilege to be a part of at least a couple of those conversations around your table, but then also many around mine, we always come back to how do we think about politics or the things that we experience in our daily life formed by that Christian faith that's oriented towards that word?
1: Yeah, your comments actually brought out a simple fact that as we think about the three estates, the civil realm, the culture and government around us, and the household or the home and the church, these three estates serve each other. And so we started with the question here as to how the church can serve the family and the household, and certainly by teaching the Christian faith, by teaching fathers and mothers what their duty is and how they're to teach their children and what they're to teach their children. But the family also assists and helps the church and helps build it up. And So not only do you do that by bringing the children to be baptized and confirmed and bringing them to church and teaching them the whole way of God in their heart and life and mind and all that they do and are, but the family also becomes a place where you support what the church does. So in your devotions, you can consider memorizing the six chief parts and reciting those daily. That's a great part of the devotion. I would encourage, where at all possible, that our our households sing together and sing hymns. The hymnal is meant to be used in the home just as fully as it's used in the church. And where children learn to love the liturgy and hymns of our church at home, they will embrace them, obviously, in the church. And then, of course, you can consider by extension this is how we support the government around us, too. How do we understand issues of right and wrong? truth and the lie? How do we understand issues of justice and mercy? Well we learn those in the home? And those become the places where we talk about those and where children grow up to be good and useful and wise citizens who are genuinely wonderful contributors to the world around us.
0: This may seem like a little bit of a sidestep of what you were just leading us in, but I think it's actually connected in some sense, is that you've talked about, as fathers teach in the home, and of course that reflects really well what we get in the small catechism at each of the six chief parts as the head of the household should teach in a simple way. And yet we also recognize, maybe just on the practical consideration side, that not all homes have a father or a faithful head of the household. Or as I even referenced before our break, You know, Just the fact that we live in such a fractured culture where people aren't even living in family anymore, oftentimes the accusation can come that the church spends too much time talking about family, lifting up the fathers, the headship, or head of the household, and talking about these roles that just doesn't reflect, if I may say, our reality. And while I like what you've really brought out for us is how we just set a faithful example for the world and how we live as Christians in that we also have the reality that our Christians in our congregations don't always reflect that reality. And so can you talk about maybe a little bit of the tension that we face in holding these things up as good and setting that example and doing them in our churches, but that for some folks, it seems like a pressure that they almost distance themselves from the church further because that doesn't reflect their everyday living. How can we help support them towards these good things as well?
1: Yeah that's a very practical and pastoral question and I appreciate it a lot and I think maybe one of the first things that I would urge and encourage is that is that those who in their own lives experience the fallenness of this world in their family life and in their personal life that they in the humility of receiving God's word, embrace what God has to say concerning his purposes and intentions for man, and recognize that where they themselves don't fully experience that, they should nevertheless wish it for those who can, and that they should think in terms of doing everything in their power to support those who do have that. I think for example of you know some unmarried people that I've been pastor to or i think of some homes where there's been divorce or other breaking of the household life in some way how they have nevertheless supported and encouraged those who are married and their families and that this is where the concept of the church as a family finally gives us a, a way to think about how we live together, even in the fallenness of this world, that God doesn't give His gifts the same to each and every person, and that He blesses some in, in one way. He may bless some with a joyful and happy marriage, and others may not enjoy that. But nevertheless, we should hold up what God teaches us about these things as His intention and as His blessing. And of course, we were to, to try to conform our own lives to that in our own households, but that we should want that for the families who can still have those gifts, and we should encourage those things. In the meantime, you know, we live in a fallen world. We address things often in a, maybe I could call it an emergency way. And so where the Bible tends to focus on the role of the father and the father having such an important role in leading his household in the Word of God and prayer and and just leading it generally. But that's not always possible. Uh, Maybe the father is, is not yet a Christian, or maybe he's not yet equipped by God's Word to do what he's been told. And sometimes the mother has to step in in a kind of emergency way and provide that which is lacking. God's Word nevertheless gives us guidance and teaching on that, and we address those things the best we can. And I would urge those folks to visit with their pastor and to receive some advice on how they might conduct themselves better. But they should never lose sight of this very important thing that God's Word is to be the center of all of our lives, whether we're single or in a marriage that has some, or a family, a household that has some brokenness in it, or whether it's more the traditional pattern of family that God intends, that we're to keep the Word of God as the heart and center of things, that we're to continue in prayer and pray for each other. And that continues to be the most important thing, regardless of what difficult circumstances there might be.
0: Yeah, I like how you said, we strive to live according to what God's Word upholds for us is good, and can also teach us the way of repentance then, too. I know I've experienced that even in my own life, especially as a single person. There there was a good chunk of time in there where I just really didn't feel even driven towards the married life. You know, I had that desire and would have been good, but I didn't know that, again, the whole purpose and benefit of marriage is so central to what God creates in the very beginning to us, as you laid out in Genesis. And as I reflected more upon God's word, and as it was presented to me as this is good for human life, it led me in repentance. And I could go to my own father confessor and just say, well, I repent of not even liking what God's word tells me is good for me. And that led me in a more faithful path as the way of repentance often goes, and so as we take a look at our own situations and our own families, maybe it's just a good time to repent, and I like your encouragement. Go talk to your pastor, receive absolution that you may be put on a more faithful path and receive encouragement and strength towards that as well
1: yeah that's that's great. Your words add maybe one more one more addition that actually kind of circles us back to the very beginning here, and that is that as we raise our children as Christians, we should also realize that we are raising them for the marriage and household estate. That we want them to believe in their hearts and to make decisions about college, career, and most importantly, the choice of a husband or wife, that they grow up and they live their lives oriented toward marriage and the marriage estate in this life. And so, We, again, this is countercultural. We see in the culture around us that many of our young people are not getting married. They don't want to be married. There's, of course, all the problems with cohabitation or the whole homosexuality agenda that has also brought in even more challenges to that. And so many of our young people are not getting married, or if they're getting married, they're not having children. And I think we really in the church need to encourage our families and our young people to get married. When they marry, to marry a good Lutheran husband or wife, this is the confessional family. (laughs) To circle back around to that, this is the Christian family. And then for them to have children and make it the central goal of their daily life in this world to bring in children into the world and to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There's no greater task that God has given to us really in our lives in this world than to fulfill those blessings and commands of God.
0: Absolutely. Well said. And thanks for circling us back around there. I feel like I could do this with every show that I do here is there's always more to say. There's so much more that I would love to talk with you about. This is really just scratching the surface here. And I want to encourage our listeners, please do come back. This is going to be kind of a little mini series as I set up in the first half that we're talking about the confessional family here, but we're also going to talk more about the catechesis of ourselves and our family in the home next week. And then the following week, also talking about Lutheran education and the formation of our children. So we'll see a progression there. And as we just begin to scratch the surface here, I always want to give my guests this opportunity in just a minute or so here as we wrap up the show today, what would be your concluding thoughts for us about why Concord matters for the confessional family?
1: It matters because the future of our households and the future of our congregations really is quite dependent upon us honoring and keeping God's word concerning our marriages and families. And so, the fact that we give attention to what the scriptures teach us first and foremost, and that we learn and teach what the confessions teach us about marriage and family in a very beautiful way puts us on the right path as Christians and gives us the form and the outline of how we're to live our lives as those who have families and those who are married. That is well confessed. That's the Reverend President John
0: Hill. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure having you join us for Concord Matters today and discussing with us why Concord Matters for the confessional family. And thank you also, dear listener, for stopping by today. And until next time, keep confessing, church.